Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Hi, I'm so excited for today because I've listened to your story on Annie Grace's podcast and a few other places, but today I get to hear it for myself and I get to ask my question. Yes, girl. I'm so, so excited. And so, yeah. Let's, let's do it. Where did it all start for you? Where did it all start? Yeah. So I, I mean, I would say like taking it back to like high school when I first tried alcohol, I mean, it was definitely something we were, I was at a party. Is it weird that I can't remember exactly no. when? <laughs> no. Okay. Cause I, I can remember weird details about things, but this is one that I keep trying to think of like, when was the first time I actually tried it? But I do remember that, you know, as a high schooler who was going to parties and you know, drinking because that's what everybody was doing. I I remember thinking like, I can't believe I, like everybody else is drinking this. How are they doing it? It tastes so bad. Like, I, I don't know how anyone's doing this, but also like, this is what everybody's doing. So just, you know, put on the face and, and keep going. And so my, yeah. So like in high school, I mean, I was, it was a very social person. My, I have a brother who's two years older and he was like the athletic academic one. And I was known for my, my social gifts. So going to parties and being part of like, you know, having a social circle, that was really important to me. And so alcohol definitely made that easier to be part of that. Right. And so Moving into college, I mean, still like my drinking didn't look anything different than anybody else's. I went to what people would consider, you know, people say, oh, like East Carolina, that's a, that's a party school. I'm like, yeah, but aren't all colleges, you know, <laughs> so true. Yeah. Party schools. I mean, for the most part. Right. And so, you know, definitely there, I joined a sorority and there were, you know, mixers, you know, at frat houses and we would go downtown. That was went out, going out was going downtown. I know like I can remember like people making it their mission to go out and get drunk. I I can't say that was ever my like mission. I was somebody, it's funny when you were, when we've talked about your story before, you were talking about this like control theme. And that for me was, I think something that really helped for a time, keep it from getting too out of control. I really liked to have control. And so it was ever my mission to go out and get drunk. But it's, it's, it just so happened that it happened a lot, right? And so, you know, binge drinking in college, that's that's kind of what we, what we did. There was a season in college where things were, my parents were divorcing, my grandfather died, my mom was diagnosed with leukemia, all around, like I was president of my sorority at the time, all around, I mean, this all happened with like in a six month span. And I, and that was for sure, I can look back on that and say that that was a time that that's when I started using alcohol and food to kind of cope. I gained 30 pounds in like one month in college that, that year. Um, and, and, but yet I was able to, I, I got a great therapist and totally, you know, that was the semester I got a one, one at a one, one GPA, not proud of that, but like just shows how 
stressful that period of time was for me. And then with the help of an awesome therapist, I was able to kind of write the ship and, you know, graduate with honors by this, you know, and everything was, so my drinking went back to just kind of looking like everybody else's outside of college. I mean, I grew up at the beach. I've talked about this before too, but where I grew up, day drinking was a thing before it was like an actual thing, as long as you were at the beach. So, I mean, I know like my, you know, I remember being a kid and seeing my parents and family and their friends all sitting around, you know, with a cooler full of beers. And as long as you were at the beach, it doesn't, it, to me, the impression was like, as long as you're at the beach, it doesn't really matter what time of day it is that you're drinking. And so, you know, for sure coming out of college from like that kind of binge drinking lifestyle, I would say, and then moving back home to the beach, you know, it just kind of continued like beach parties. And I mean, we did that in high school as well. Like we would go to the beach for the day and take wine coolers with us. Now we wouldn't like go to someone else's house and just start drinking, you know, at noon. But as, but if we were at the beach, it was like, just, it was part of that, um, you know, just part of that experience kind of always. So coming out of college, I got my dream job in pharmaceutical sales and the culture there was very much work hard, play hard. And I mean, we had national sales meetings in Vegas where, I mean, going on a couple hours of sleep, you were still getting up and, you know, working. And then they would, you know, treat you to these lovely, you know, big nights, you know, stay up all night drinking. And so like that was, it, it was still kind of like normal, what, what everybody else was doing. So I never really, you know, it wasn't a problem if you will. So moving into, I met my husband, we met at a beach party and we were both in pharmaceutical sales. It's a funny story for another time. And, you know, part of kind of like what we did in our early dating life was, you know, get together for some drinks. And I mean, I think that's just what the, like, that's what the culture was and maybe still is. It's, if you're going to, do something social. It's like, Hey, let's go grab a, grab a drink. And so even, even all those years ago, back in the olden days, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it was. And a lot of, you know, into early, we, we started a family. I became a kind of an accidental stay at home mom when we moved. And during that time period, because of that whole like kind of control theme that you kind of spoke to too, it was, it was easy for me to kind of keep it to a like only special occasions and, you know, never with the kids around. And so I had all of these kind of like rigid rules around what was acceptable or not acceptable when it came to drinking. And it, and it didn't feel like it was anything that got in the way in those days. If we got, if we went out to eat or had like a weekend away, we overdid it, not because we were going out to overdo it, but because we would like, it was that experience of like letting our hair down a kind of an ex, a, a continuation of that kind of work hard, uh, play hard kind of kind of thing. And so wine was very much synonymous with like celebration, vacation, reward for working hard, unwinding, you know, just being able to relax um, and, and that kind of thing. But I didn't drink during the week. Um, it was only like the special occasions. And then we moved to a, a very like social neighborhood and that combined with my youngest going to school full-time, which meant I 
jumped. I mean, I didn't even like pause and think about it. I just went straight back, resume, resume my career in pharmaceutical sales. That those kind of two things really accelerated the amount of wine that I was drinking because everything was moving into a social neighborhood and it was like getting together again, that kind of like social theme of let's get together for a drink. It's, you know, I think about it now. It's like, why, you know, it's like that, you know, in Goodwill Hunting where she's like, um, what's her, I can't remember her name, the character, but she says to Matt Damon, maybe we should, we could get together for a cup of coffee. And he's like, or we could get together and eat a bunch of caramels. And she's like, what? And he's like, well, isn't that as arbitrary as getting together for a cup of coffee? <laughs> like, that's what, that's, that's what I think of now when I think about like, Hey, like, let's get together for a drink. Like, why is that the thing? But you know, of course, as we know, there are our cultural conditioning, our families foraged, you know, all the things that influence that it just has become the, you know, the connector that's, that's what we do. And so we did that and combined with it being a really, really stressful period. Um, I, I had this like grand idea that, you know, going back to work wouldn't being a, like a full-time mom and a full-time working mom, like all my, you know, I had girlfriends that did it and they made it look so easy. And so I thought, I thought I would kind of do the same thing, like, you know, work hard, but don't let them see you sweat kind of thing. So, but the job, but the job that I got, the expectations they had of us, it just, it was just like a perfect storm. And around that time, it's, you know, like we would only drink on the weekends when we got together with friends, but slowly over time, it was like, oh, well, Thursday night is, you know, the weekend and Sunday night is the weekend. And, and then the next thing, you know, you know, it's like, well, maybe we'll take Monday off, but Tuesday and Wednesday are, you know, also weekend nights. Right. And this is around this time. This is when I was like, kind of like, we're heading in the wrong direction here. Like, I don't, I was aware of that, but also everything revolved around drinking. So, you know, the thought of like changing something, it was, it was too terrible. Like I didn't even consider it. And so we, we took, you know, 30 day breaks here and there to try and like, you know, reboot like dry Januaries were kind of a big deal. I never, I never made it like the full 30 days. And what's interesting about these times. So like you can picture that I had this, everything was very like controlled and rigid and I had these rules, but at a certain point, you know, like I I can't, I won't drink during the week, but then I started sliding on those or, you know, I can eat healthy and I can exercise four to five times a week to like undo what I've just done over the weekend, drinking too much, you know, the, the bottles of wine that I've consumed with friends and then the crap eating from there that happens as a result. I had all of these like rigid rules in my, you know, my, my way of trying to control it. But as I started kind of like, like breaking those rules, I think that's when the noise, the internal internal tension really started to ratchet up because I mean, once you start breaking these rules that you've made with yourself, then you're starting to beat yourself up for breaking these rules. And then it starts this, I think that looking back, I can easily see where that probably was a, a major turning point. And so, you know, it, there, there were, it, it was the strangest thing because, you know, like from the outside looking in, like, I mean, I had ever, I did have everything under control and everything looked great 
on paper. What people didn't see was that like I had a, you know, a low grade irritability, kind of just constant low grade irritability. I was really, you know, impatient or I would snap at my kids or, or at Todd. And that was also what I thought that like, I just thought that was kind of like normal. Right. But it also is noticing that and noticing how that made, you know, everybody around me, not so, not so happy that absolutely fed my kind of, Oh, like if I drink wine, then it takes the edge off and I'm not as irritable. I'm not as snappy. And so I'm a, see, look, I'm a better mom. If I, if I drink wine and I'm a better wife, I'm more bearable to be around. What I didn't realize is that, you know, those edges that I was trying to take off my air quote edges, those edges were caused by the, the, you know, the, at this point, like the wine habit that was pretty consistent. And so, so once I became aware of this, which was a really painful, painful thing to start thinking about, like, I mean, I went a really long period of time knowing that something was off and feeling this internal conflict, this tension, this rub, this ache that I couldn't put my finger on. Um, but I, I had the hardest time really seeing that it was how alcohol was getting in the way of how I wanted to show up in my life. And, you know, like, for example, like, you know, going to church on a Sunday, you know, I was, I was worried that maybe like, you know, people would smell the wine that was on my breath from, you know, the party that we had been to the night before, or just the hangout, you know, there were a lot of times that like, we didn't even go to these, you know, like huge parties all the time. It's just, it's just a casual kind of get together with friends that turns into, I was never the one that left a party early ever in my entire life. Me neither. Me ever, neither. ever, ever. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is so amazing. Now I wear it like as a badge of honor that like, like <laughs> and I've had all that I, yeah, like I've had all I need here for this party and I am out and I'm going to go get a good night, re- good night's rest. But, but yeah, it just, it, it slowly became this, I, I just started to see, I had this awareness for how potentially this thing that I thought was like necessary to my life and helping me survive life, wine was actually getting in the way of, you know, getting in the way of everything. Like my relationship with God, my relationship with my family, my kids, you know, I would want to stay up late, hanging out, being social you know, on a Friday night, but then on Saturday when I'm not feeling so great, that didn't make me want to spend time with my kids in a way that I really, when I, you know, hadn't been drinking, really wanted to. And so there were all of these little, like, just those contradictions, you know, that start to take, take a hold. And, and when you're, you know, trying not to feel the, the pain of that, it's like the last thing you want to do is like bring attention to it. Right. And say, okay, like this is, this isn't working. And by the way, this is the thing that, I mean, I didn't know anybody that didn't, that didn't drink. Like everything was part of, you know, was, was wrapped around having drinks together. And the times where at this point where I was like, you know, I I don't think that I want to keep doing this. We would still get together with friends and I'd be like, you know, tonight I'm just not going to drink. But then someone would break out the, you know, Sonoma Couture and 
oh, gosh, well, I'm, yeah, I'm going to have that. Like, cause I, it would call for me, you know, like I couldn't say, I used to say I was like defenseless to a good bottle of wine. And so, yeah. So despite saying like, I don't want to keep doing this, it still was something that I wasn't you know, able to just to say, okay, like, I don't want to do this and I'm not going to. And I think that was a place for me that this is probably around 2018 or so. This was, a, this was a time that I was like, well, well then what are my options? Because what I had, if, you know, maybe the one person I did know that did not drink alcohol, it was because they were again, air quote, alcoholic. That's what they would describe themselves as. And I'm thinking like, to me that if like, if that's the example of like what a, a problem drinker is, well, this isn't having any like outward detrimental effects to my life. Like despite it being a really tough season, I was killing it like at my job. I was doing a great job with my job. Now, I mean, I was doing it not very happily and, and then, you know, kind of biting my, my family's heads off, like as a result at the same time, but you know, it was, it was definitely, I only knew that a problem drinker is someone that you, you change your, you change your alcohol, you know, relationship when you hit a rock bottom because you're an alcoholic. And that was not something that my life didn't look like that at all. So I was kind of like, okay, well, I can continue, you know, drinking miserably because I had this I had simultaneous thoughts. I want to drink and I don't want to drink. And, and so I can continue with that, or I can try every single day for the rest of my life, not to drink. That sounded miserable. Like that was my idea of what, you know, sober living looked like air quotes again. And so I was like miserable or miserable. Those were my two options. And so I felt, I felt stuck. I'm like, what kind of options are those? I might as well keep drinking. If I'm going to be miserable either way. Might as well keep drinking, you know, might as well be miserable with a glass of wine. So, or three or whatever. But I also around this time, I decided that like enough was enough. Maybe I just, maybe I just needed to get that rock bottom. So if I could hurry up and get that rock bottom, then maybe I'd be, I, I you know, I'd be forced to do something about it. And then you know, I guess once you have a rock bottom, then you go to AA and you go to rehab and you do all of those things and then you don't have a choice. And so therefore I'll force myself into this kind of life because I, I did not want to keep going the way that I was. And that's when like, you know, one day I, you know, the kids were at school and Todd was off at work and I just, I mean, I got on my knees and I just laid it all out there to the Lord and just, I prayed and prayed and prayed. I said like, please give me a rock bottom, one that won't hurt anybody, right? Like I don't, you know, let's keep everybody safe, but I'm ready for that. If that's what I need to find freedom and peace and ever, you know, not be pulled by this substance, then like bring it on. And thankfully I didn't, I didn't, ex I didn't get a rock bottom. I got something better. I found this naked mind, but, but before that, I will say there was one night that my, so like bedtime was a sacred time of day for me when I, when I was a stay at home mom, especially it's like, if I could make it to the end of the day with the kids, like no matter, you know, how I maybe whatever our day looked like, if I got to bedtime, bedtime could always be this kind of like sacred space of 
I mean, you know, stories and songs and prayers together, snuggling, like, I felt like it also was like my time where I, I just shined. Like as a mom, bedtime was my thing. And so a lot of my conflict around um, my wine habit at that at, at that point was it was, you know, bumping up against my love for for the sacred bedtime and it got in the way of it. So, you know, if I I was on my way home from work thinking about like, I can't wait till I open that bottle of wine and that's what helped me get through cooking dinner and doing, you know, doing the homework, doing all the things with the kids. And as long as I had a glass of wine in my hand, my companion, then I could like survive getting through these things. Not only that, but it, you know, bedtime became that bedtime routine that I love so much. It became like shorter and shorter because I would feel this, you know, like I wanted to hurry, hurry and finish bedtime with the kids. So I could get back downstairs and have another glass of wine or, know, grab a glass of wine and go watch my shows. And so one night, so gratefully, even though it was super painful at the time, my, I was making the rounds with the kids and I came in to tuck my four-year-old in and I went to just smother her with kisses. Like I did every single night, just kissing her all over her face. And she's like, Ooh, mom, no kisses tonight. Your breath smells like wine. Your breath stinks. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So in that moment, I'm like, First of all, did my four-year-old just call me out for drinking? I got, <laughs> I got like defensive. I was like, excuse me. And and then the reality and the sadness of what she is just, you know, said really hit me later. And it was that, like, first of all, like, how long has she been wanting me? I'm like, first of all, I smell like wine probably most nights, you know? So why tonight does she care? Yeah. That was my first yeah. thought. Kind of a sad, that, that thought brought me kind of sadness. And then the second thought of like, how long has she been enduring my stinky kisses and not saying anything? And that's a moment that I will just be forever grateful for on this side. It was awful in the moment, but it really was kind of that like wake up call for me. Like, what are you doing? And how is it, how is it affecting your kids? Like you think that they don't notice, but, and I can't, you know, yeah, anyway, and we'll, we'll talk about that at some point too. Like the things that they do know and what the things that they did, like kind of pick up on and the things that they don't, but that was a, a period of time, 2019, when my, the company I was working for, they laid us, they laid off the sales, the entire sales force in September of that year. And it was such a, it was scary. And then it was also a blessing because it, this was at the, the peak of like the tension and like, what am I going to do about this? And I I prayed for my rock bottom. It's kind of like, I want to make a change here, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. I did research AAs at one point, like maybe I'll go to an AA, but I never really felt like that was a place. Like I was, tr- what I was missing in my life is time and presence with my family, time and presence doing the things that were important and valuable to me being with my kids, not taking away from time with them. And so one of, for me, one of the the obstacles for like AA was I would have to find a, I would have to travel to a different city where no one knew me and I'd have to go to these meetings and I have to go all the time. And so then all of a sudden I would be, I wouldn't be getting more time back. Like if I wasn't, so I'd be, do, so I'd be taking up more time away from my family and I just wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be drinking. And so that was something that was kind of like frustrating, like, 
like, why isn't there another option? I didn't think I, I didn't think I qualified for rehab. I, I didn't, I, I didn't think I was, you know, addicted to alcohol. So rehab wasn't an option. However, it did like, it was intriguing to think that I could just maybe disappear for a couple of weeks and like yeah. figure this out <laughs> and then come back and just never have to deal with it again. Like that was very yeah. appealing to me. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If only it's, it's that easy. Right. But that definitely was not, you know, obviously an option too. And so it wasn't until a conversation I was having with a neighbor talking about extra, we always used to just talk about like how, you know, we would, we worked out at the same gym and like we would work out during the week and we felt great by the end of the week. And then, you know, with our, the social lives that we had that it's like, we would just undo it all, you know, football parties on the weekends and, you know, all the, all the social, all the social gatherings. And so he, he said, well, I heard about this book, but be careful. If you read it, you may never want to drink again. And I was like, oh my gosh, tell me the name of this book. That's, I was like, that's exactly the point. I would never have to drink again. Like this, at this point for me, it wasn't just about the fact that like, I had to kill myself in the gym five days a week to undo all of the drinking, you know, like it wasn't just about the health side, the health side of it, the fitness side of it. Like this was about like, I, I spent so much time thinking about planning for prepping for trying to control how to control the rules. I spent, there was so much mental real estate consumed by alcohol. It wasn't just the time drinking. It was all the mental real estate consumed by how to control it, how to plan for it. What I'm going to, what am I going to drink? What am I going to drink? How am I going to like all of those things? And that's what I was looking for relief from. So when he said, you may never drink again, I was like, bring it on. I download, I got it on audible right away and started listening to Annie and I was like, Oh my gosh. Yes. I so feel this. And she even says in there, she's like, don't change anything. I was like, wait, I don't have to do, I don't have to change anything yet. And that was huge for me because that allowed me the space to get really curious about what my relationship to alcohol looked like. And through that, putting down those, you know, weapons of blame and shame, as we say, being able to like turn to learning about like, you know, all the things that we talk about that really helped me get to the point where I saw where wine, you know, I had these, these long conditioned beliefs that wine helped me relax. It helped me be a better mom. It helped me be a better wife. It was, it, I needed it to take the edges off, you know, to take the edge off it, you know, it helped me be social. It was the glue holding my social life together. It was like, I couldn't, it was, it was an important necessary quotes again, air quotes again, part of my life. And so of course the thought of not drinking it and having to change that meant that it was really hard. And during those 30, 30 day breaks I, I took before, like, I mean, the thoughts of drinking were even, I was even more miserable when it was, when I wasn't drinking it because my thoughts were still on it and I still wanted it. And I still, and I was looking forward to, well, this isn't forever. So I, I, I'll get to drink again. And I never made it to 30 days because the noise got to be so, so great. And so all of that to say, you know, I was able to work on each of those, become aware of and work on each of those beliefs that I had about how wine supposedly was helping me, enhancing my life. And, and in so doing with the, the state of my methodology, 
I changed my desire to drink. And that was, so December 1st, 2019 was my last, the last time I ever tasted. Oh, your anniversary is coming up. It is. And it's funny because I remember so vividly the day I didn't pick it like on purpose, but so my youngest is in the nutcracker. And so this time of year, so when we get off of this week, as we're recording this, I will be getting off this call and going to get her ready for her dress rehearsal in a little bit. And what I remember about three years ago is that going to the ballet, like I would never have, you wouldn't go to the ballet and not have a couple glasses of wine. Like that's just what everybody does. And so December 1st, 2019, we went to the Nutcracker that day. I I finished the book, but I was so scared to finish this Naked Mind too. Cause I was like, what if this doesn't work? I had all my like hopes on that. And and then that day went to the Nutcracker. So it was a given that we would, that I would have wine while we were there. And I, so I, I got it and I was just like, I, there's no enjoyment in this. I don't, I don't even want, I don't want this. And so I, I woke up the next day. I was like, I'm done. That's it. So yeah. So in the last three years, which I never, I never was one to keep track of days or like counting, like all of the kind of traditional programming that is around, you know, this space, like didn't appeal to me so much, but, but every once in a while I'll, I'll look up like how many days it's been. And this summer I I was right. I was doing anyway, doing this thing. And I looked up the days, it was 999 days. So now I think it's like a thousand and 86 days, but like that's a thousand and eighty six days of not drinking, but not just not drinking, like not having a single desire or temptation to drink ever. And so when I say like it's it's not been hard to not drink because I haven't had the desire to drink, but it what has been more challenging is just existing in a world where people look at you like you're crazy for not drinking. And so navigating all of those things and relearning things. Like I'd never had a a vacation where I came home rejuvenated and restored and like rested from a vacation because vacations always meant overdoing it, you know, having one too many glasses of wine. And so learning how to do all of those things without alcohol, that's been interesting, but, but it's just, it's been incredible. And it doesn't hurt that. Uh, so our company laid us off in September of 2019. I was like, well, I'm going to get through the holidays. I was working on this drinking thing at the same time. So I was like, you know what? We're going to get through the holidays and then I'll, you know, seriously look at getting another pharmaceutical sales job. And, and then it was right January, February, where my old manager had something lined up for me. And at that same week, you know, my mom sent me the email from the Snake Mind that said that they were looking to train coaches for this. And I had during that time, I found freedom from alcohol, what December 1st, 2nd, whatever, 2019, I had kind of unofficially coached my mom to finding freedom from alcohol at that time. Oh, I love that. We were the best of wine buddies back in the day, but I helped coach her through that, just kind of through my experience. And then, so when this opportunity came up to, you know, to apply to become a coach, and then at the same time, I had this like new job, I was like, I I just felt this, I mean, I prayed about it and I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to give up that bird in the hand job because that, that job that excited me right out of college, my dream job, so to speak, it was exciting for a time, but it was not, I felt like it was just not right for me anymore. And so I, you know, went all in with my coaching certification with the Snake of Mind and 
have been coaching thousands of people since it's been, yeah, over the last couple of years, which I know helps, you know, all of it, but I don't ever think about or desire alcohol. I talk about alcohol a lot because that's my job, but it doesn't have the same pull like it used to. Yeah. That's so, so good. I love that so much. I have so many questions. Yeah. So when you, okay. So my first question is, is that when you heard that neighbor say like, you may never drink again, like tell me about like hearing the word never, because I know with my clients and even with me, the word never, or I, you know, I will never drink again. Like that I think tends to keep people stuck, but it seems like you yeah. just like, were like, I'm ready. Well, yeah. So that was, that's such a good question because when I actually thought about it, it was the thing that terrified me, you know, because it was like that forever miserable every single day for the rest of my life, trying not to drink. Like that was what I thought. But when he said it in that moment, I was at a place where it was like, I had explored the only options that I knew that were out there. It was keep doing what I'm doing, which was not working. And I knew I was like, we are not heading in the right direction here. Like it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And then, um, I mean, it is an addictive substance. I knew that much, right? Like I knew, I didn't know all that I know about alcohol now, but I did know that much. And then the other part of that was just that, yeah, like my idea of again, air quotes, sobriety and what that looked like meant like you can't ever drink again. And that sounded really hard and miserable. But when he said that to me, I think it just was, I mean, I think, you know, I had just fallen to my knees and prayed for, for the Lord to give me a rock bottom. And this happened within a week of that, where it was like, oh, but here's this, here's this book. You may never, what he said was, you may never want to drink again. And I, and that's where I felt hope because I was like, yes, it's not that I'm, drinking or not drinking. Yes, it is that. But more than that, what's keeping me stuck is that I want to drink and I don't want to drink. It's that conflict. And so I don't know that he intended for it to come out that way, but I think that's what I heard that it's like, oh, if I can just solve for wanting it and make myself not want it, like just like sweet tea. I've never wanted sweet tea. I will never drink sweet tea. I mean, maybe my want will change one day, but I've never desired it. So I don't order it when I go out. I don't drink it. That was in my mind kind of how alcohol could become based on this book he was talking about. And it was exactly true. I didn't, I didn't become sober. I changed my desire to drink, which eliminated the temptation, but even going into it. So, you know, having that nutcracker drinking the wine, like as like kind of a last, like, okay, like, let's kind of see if this is it kind of thing. From that point, I never said, I will never drink again. I never made it because again, when I did those 30 days before, I couldn't even make it to 30 days and I was miserable. So as long as I had that like time frame, I mean, and that's where we we know with clients, like it that is one of the hardest things to change your mindset around. It's, you know, like I don't number one, I don't ever have to drink again. Hallelujah. Like who knew that it was a choice? Right. Who knew it was a choice? That's so good. Who knew it was? A, who knew I had a choice? I did not feel like I had a choice when I was stuck, and um, I thought it was just what I, you know, as a reformed people pleaser, I thought it's just what I had to do to be, you know, have my social, have my relationships intact. And then I've never said I will never drink again, 
I, I feel very strongly that I won't, but, but I say like, if I ever want to drink again, I will. And that's okay too. And that, that ability to take that pressure off of ourselves, I think is what helped me find freedom. Because as long as I was saying, these are the rules and they're rigid. And, you know, I was always kind of trying to, that pressure eventually gets to be too much, just like it did when I I wouldn't drink during the week. I was only drinking on the weekends, but then Thursday became part of a weekend and Wednesday. And so, yeah, such a good question. Love that. Yeah. I love that. If I ever want to drink again, I will. I just don't want to. That's so good. So, so good. You listed like some beliefs about like what alcohol did for you, coping, reward, all of that stuff, relaxing. What was the last kind of belief that you had to turn around? What was the sticker? That's not a word, sticker outer. That's not a word. But what was the last one? I like it. Because mine was definitely fun. Mine was like, I definitely thought there was no way you could have fun without it. And that was the last one for me. Was What was yours? Agreed. Fun was huge on that list, but more so in the sense of like me being fun, like fun as my identity, because that was also like kind of the role that I always played within my family. Like, I mean, you go all the way back. I'm a I'm a deep thinker, deep feeler, and that by nature. And that was not something that worked well in my tense household growing up. And so I became the light, funny, like easy, you know, entertaining one. And so, you know, going back to even thinking about high school and drinking alcohol and how I noticed very quickly that helped me be more likable, more enjoyable, more fun to be around. So I thought, and so For me, it was kind of severing that, you know, identity of like, I can be fun or that people will still want to hang out with me, even if I'm not drinking or that I am still funny without drinking. And so that was, that's a big one with a lot of like branches of the tree that kind of spawn off of it. But that was, that was really, that was the trickiest for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I totally relate to that. I think we just, it becomes so ingrained in us as people, right? That, that, that we are fun or funny, or I had one client say it was, I'll never forget it. She said, I just realized I didn't want to be the show pony anymore. You know, the one that everybody else wanted to be around because, you know, I was, you know, she was put basically putting on a show exactly what it sounds like. I was like, oh, that's so good and so true. And I so related to to when she said that. So sorry, one last question, because I didn't realize that your, your date was December 1st. And that is so wild because like, I can't, I don't think I could have ever imagined even when, because mine was March of going into Christmas party season <laughs> without alcohol. So you're, let's back to 2019 it's your very first christmas like december without drinking tell me like the things that you were the most i guess surprised by and the most and the things that that just you were so glad to learn if that makes sense like what what really like impacted you about that month oh my gosh how much time do we have that's such a good question (laughs) and i'm four minutes need i know (laughs) Well, and if you know me, it's not going to cut it. Uh, well, listen, let's yeah. make that an ep- let's make it an episode. <laughs> yes, we'll have to. We'll we'll make it. So yes, we will go into detail about that because I'm so glad you asked that because that's often something that I overlook because I mean it's it's been three years now and just there's so many things that were and and this is the other part of that it was not hard at all for me 
to go through the holidays like that because I was free from alcohol. I wasn't trying to be alcohol free. I was free from alcohol. And so the euphoria that I had from, I mean, the peace in my body, in my mind, in my being, it was like, it was like, I mean, at my journal from that time, it was just like, it was a high all in it all of itself to be free from that burden that was like this thing that was majorly getting in the way. So when I can think about, oh yeah, it was the holidays and what, I don't even alcohol free for, you know, three weeks or whatever, the whole season of actually December, my ability to be present, there wasn't that low grade irritability or that stress of like, I, I, looking back, I can see like, I put a lot of demand on making everything look good, making everything, you know, fit perfectly. And um, I had high expectations for what everything should look like and be like for Christmas day and all, you know, all the, and the parties and all of these things. And it's like all of that went away because I, as long as I was not free from alcohol, the anxiety that was continually increasing by the day was making all of that so much more miserable. And so the relief from the anxiety, like I thought alcohol, I thought wine helped my anxiety. It single-handedly was the the biggest contributing factor, the biggest reason for my anxiety. And so going into a stressful period of time, which I can think about now, like holidays, I love that. Like they're peaceful and calm and enjoyable and lovely because there's not all of that stress that goes along with it. That was also perpetuated by the drinking. And the other part of that being like, when you, even when you're not actively drinking, like it was the distraction that this conflict had, it was, it was distracting me from being able to be present and, and affected everything. So it made me, you know, short, short fused. And so it was like this, I don't know, this experience of like sitting there on Christmas morning going like, there's nothing, there's nothing I have to do. There's nothing I know where I have to be. Like, there's nothing, it is just what it is. And I remember everything and I don't have to worry about like, I, it just, there was no thoughts of like, you know, what Christmas Eve service do we go to for church? Because can't go to the one that's later if we've had some, you know, drinks at dinner and like it, it was just light and free and amazing. So it's not like that for most people, right? Like most people go through holidays, alcohol free, and it's, it's a struggle. It's new. It's different. But the difference for me is that I was free from alcohol at that time. And if I had done that, you know, if I had tried that the previous year, I wouldn't have even made it an hour or, you know, being able to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a testament to the way that this naked mind and the methodology that we both coach, like how it works and how it can for you. And that it doesn't have to be a struggle for the rest of your life. Yeah. It can be a little bit tricky in the beginning, but it's not this ongoing battle for the rest of your life. And when you do find that like peace and that freedom, it's just, when you experience that a hundred percent for yourself, like, why would you go back? <laughs> why would you, you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 You're exactly right. I mean, it's, it's, it's so bizarre to me that I can be with girlfriends who are drinking old favorite bottles of, of wine of mine that like, I would never have said no to. And I can look at it and I can go like, do, do I want that? 
and I can, there's no hesitation. Like there's nothing in me that's like, I'm like, no, you could not pay me to drink that because the peace, the freedom, the joy, the connection, like the deeper connections I have in all of my relationships with the Lord, with my husband, with my children, with my friends, like it's, it's exponentially better than I could have ever imagined. I thought you'd find freedom from alcohol and then just like everything would be great, but like, and it is, but it just keeps getting better. And I think that's where I'm just continually surprised by how great this life can be. And I will say, I just want to caveat a little bit there because a lot of people, people go about this different ways, but you can find freedom from alcohol. And when you have no desire, you have no temptation. It's not hard to you know, go into the holidays two weeks later and not think twice about like, those used to be boozy occasions for us, huge, you know, with the fancy glasses, you know, all the things that go along with it. But some people remove alcohol first, they're alcohol, they live alcohol free while they're working on changing those beliefs, you know, identifying and changing those beliefs that tell them there's some benefit, so-called benefit to drinking. And so some people do remove it from their bodies first and then find freedom through working through. I just was the one that, you know, I just did it like other people do where it's, I kept drinking as long as I was working on this and then changed my desire. And then once you have no desire, there's no desire. So I never had to say like, okay, now I'm going to be alcohol free for this period, you know, X amount of time. It was just like, well, why do I, yeah, I don't want to do that. So people do it different ways. And that's what we, that's what I love about, I know you do too, like coaching people where they are, like there's no one size fits all, but, but noticing and, you know, paying attention, like untangling that relationship to alcohol is, yeah, that puts you in a place of choice. You will always have choice by just bringing awareness to what that relationship looks like. And any, anything goes, whatever you choose work is, you know, right for you. So, yeah. I love that. So good. I love, I love this so much. And I wrote down so many things that we can talk about in future episodes that will take an entire episode to talk about, like what is really connection and values and authenticity and all this good stuff. So I'm going to wrap us up, but we will, we have so much still to talk about. And this was so, so fun to, to hear your story. You're so good at this, my friend. Thanks for uh, that awesome interview. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free underscore. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week.